We're back in the gospel according to John. Um, we're going to cover verse 10 through 13 tonight. I'll read at verse 6 again just so we can get the whole context of this section. Uh, and then we'll cover verses 10 through 13. John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born, or who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come back tonight and to open your word. Lord, what an honor that is. What a privilege that is. And Lord, we pray that tonight these verses would minister to our hearts. They would minister to our souls as they are the words of the living God. They are your words. They are breathed out from you and brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these verses speak to you, about you. And Lord, by knowing you, we know the Father. And Lord, that's our desire, to know you more and to glorify you more, and to be more conformed into your image. So, Lord, help us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let me say a quick few things that I did not say this morning about John the Baptist. And, and Tim was, uh, we had a conversation after church today, and I said, you're exactly right. I forgot to mention this today, but uh, John the Baptist is the last prophet of the Old Covenant. And that's not your first choice. If that was on a trivia question, you'd say, who's the last prophet of the Old Covenant? Many would say maybe Malachi or something along that nature. But the New Covenant had been finalized yet as Christ had not died on the cross. So the last prophet of the Old Covenant would have been John the Baptist. He was the one who came and made the prophetic uh, annunciation that the Messiah was coming, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And he was the one who had that amazing Privilege. So I just wanted to share that today, uh, tonight, and and uh, I thought it was an interesting, uh, maybe piece of information. Uh, he was a prophet. Uh, he is the last prophet of the old covenant. So if we're ever in a trivia quiz or a game show together, we should all know that John the Baptist, as he is the last prophet of the old covenant. We've mentioned this today that John had a specific role and a specific function. He was the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies, including Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and the last few verses of Malachi. And, and we look in the Old Testament, and we know that the prophecies that had been given to them were many. Uh, the, the prophets of the Old Testament had, had spoken many things from God. And we know that uh, one of the things that we see of true prophets of God is that what they say comes to pass. It is not something that is being learned. It is not something that you get practice at. It is not something that you can have a 99% uh, success rate on and be a prophet of God. That is incorrect. To be a prophet of God in the Old Testament meant that you were given the words of God, you spoke it with clarity, and what was said and prophesied come to pass. One of the prophecies that the Jews would have been very familiar with was what we covered today is that the Messiah would come. The Messiah would come. And they were awaiting that. They were hoping for that day. And John the Baptist, in, in fulfillment of the prophecies that spoke about him, he did come and his prophetic word was that the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. So we have these Old Testament prophecies speaking of the Messiah. We have the Old Testament prophecies that one would come before the Messiah and be the forerunner and announce his coming on the scene. And this is what John the Baptist did. And it is after John the Baptist that shortly after all this that is taking place that Jesus will then make his announcement and his public ministry. And it will start after the baptism that is being performed by John in baptizing Jesus. And that's important to know. I want to say that again because the Jewish people were familiar with these prophecies. The Messiah will come. 
And then we have a 400-year period of silence like we talked about. And here comes John the Baptist to be the forerunner and to announce that that prophecy is at hand. The Messiah is coming. So close. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, so therefore make straight the paths and repent. That's important because the verses we're going to cover tonight are going to talk about him coming into his own, his own people, the Jewish people. These people that had been given amazing privileges of God. We even find this in the book of Romans, chapter 9. Uh, excuse me, we'll be in chapter 9 of Romans, but we see this at the start of Romans, chapter 9. Listen to some of these privileges that were given to the children of Israel, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites. We find this in verse 4 of Romans chapter 9. It says, Who are Israelites, who belong to the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple services, and the promises. These things were given to the Israelites. They were God's chosen people. They were given special privileges. They were given these, these granting of this, uh, the law, and they, were, they had temple worship, and, and they had the promises. Everything was in this nation. And they knew the Messiah was to come. They had prophecies that would speak of these things. And what's sad to this day is they don't still believe the, the Messiah has come. There's been an overall rejection of the Jews to the Messiah, to Christ. And there's a reason for that. Have you ever wondered that, of why the Jews are God's chosen people, His chosen nation, and why they have this majority of the Jews do not believe in Jesus. Have you ever wondered that? That's a question I think gets asked a lot. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Well, there's a reason. Because their hearts have been hardened and their eyes have been blinded for a specific reason. And the specific reason is setting in this room tonight. Because you're Gentiles. And God has hardened the hearts and blinded the eyes of the Jews as a whole. Not to all, but as a whole until the fullness of the time of Gentiles has been done. Then we see this. We're going to look at this tonight. So keep that in mind. I wanted to set that up as they were familiar with the promises. They were familiar with the prophecies that the Messiah would come. John the Baptist comes, fulfilling the prophecy that one would come before the Messiah. Then the Messiah uh, comes on the scene into earthly ministry, and you thought it would be the greatest day in all the Jews' life. He's here. The wait is over. But as we read in the Matthew chapter 3, that the Jews, the, the Pharisees, those religious people came and they were already into it with John the Baptist. Because what their idea of the Messiah was and what they believed was not what is in line with the truth. And we're going to look at that a little later in the gospel according to John. But uh, this is the sad reality that even though he came to his people, the majority of the Jews rejected him. Christ's public ministry was primarily rejected by the Jews. And not every Jew. We know there were people that believed. We know that Paul believed. And, and you look at the disciples, these were Jews. And, and there was a remnant of people that believed. But as a whole, he came into his own, and his own received him not. That's the context of where we start tonight. John is proclaiming this message. But it is not received very well by the Jews. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and we see this. We, we've covered this in the first few verses of chapter 1 of John. When he says in verse 3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That the eternal word, the Logos, is the creator of all things. And John reiterates it right here by saying that. He was in the world. The very world that he created. Imagine that. This God who's not bound by time or space, who's eternal and infinite... At a certain time, the fullness of time, he enters into his creation. He's born of a virgin birth. He grows into the age of 30 years old. And then he comes on the scene into his public ministry. But there was a time where this eternal God entered into time and space and came into the very world that he created. That's mind-blowing in itself to think about that. He created this world. He is standing on the ground that he created. From all eternity past, He created the land, the ground that He would come and be born on. The very place where the manger would set would be the very ground that He created at the creation. 
The place that he would be crucified at was the exact ground that he spoke into existence and he knew that that would be the place that he would, he would suffer and die to redeem his people. He came into the very world that he created, walked on the very ground that he created. And the majority of people did not know him. On your handout, you'll see a stranger in his own house. That's, that's taken from a, a quote from Spurgeon who said he was a stranger in his own house. He was unknown amidst his own handiwork. Men who he had made, made nothing of him. What a telling statement that is. He gave every one of these people life and breath. He came into his creation and the world did not know him. This, we know this doesn't speak to everyone because there are people that did know him. There are followers of him. But as a whole, they gave him no mind and did not know him. In fact, again, as we reiterate all over again and again, when we speak about the light, we see that the majority of, well, we know that all people are born with a hatred toward the light. And we know that there are some here that he's talking about that did see him for his glory and did follow him. But the judgment is this, that the light has come into the world. And what do they do? They hate the light. They did not know him. They did not perceive him. He was a stranger in his own house. What a mind-blowing thought. But then we turn and we see something even more sad. Is that he came into his own. In his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. See, what's crazy about this and what's even more mind-blowing about this is that Jesus was a Jew. John chapter 4 tells us that salvation is from the Jews. The Jews and the Israelite was God's chosen nation. They were privileged to these advantages that we mentioned in Romans chapter 9. He came into his own. His own did not receive him. His public ministry was one primarily rejected by the Jews. And if we go to even historical account, we know the Jews were the ones who had him crucified. How many times do you read in the gospel accounts where Jesus claims his deity, claims his divinity, and what is the response of the Jews? Let's pick up some stones and stone him. We hate this guy. We think he's false in his proclamation of who he is. As a majority, the Jews rejected Jesus. But this was also a fulfillment of a prophecy. We find this prophecy, and we find it in the first verse of Isaiah chapter 53. And it says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is also picked up here in John chapter 12. Before the, the Last Supper in John chapter 12, that he is going to quote from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10. And let's read a little bit here in John chapter 12. We'll get to this eventually, and who knows how long, but let's, let's read it. In John chapter 12, starting in verse 27, he says this. Jesus, for telling his death, he says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Talking about his death. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. Interesting there. We may look at some uh, ties to Revelation that the ruler of this world will be cast up. Maybe bound, if you will. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will I draw all men to myself? Speaking of all kinds of people, Jews, Gentiles, every nation, language, tribe. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death to, by which he would die. The crowd then answered and said, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? This is one of the reasons they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, because he's prophesying his death. And to them, the Messiah that they read about in the Old Testament would not come and die, but would come and conquer the governmental forces that were there at the time and set Israel free on the earth. And we even see Peter questioning this. If you remember when he, in, in Matthew, he says that you are the Messiah. 
And he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by, by my Father. And then Jesus says that it is necessary that I suffer and necessary that I die. And what does Peter say? Never. No, 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 no. And what does he say? Get behind me. Satan, you're not speaking of the things of God. They couldn't get in their mind that the Messiah would come. The one prophesied would have to suffer and die. And this is what is being mentioned here. They thought the, the Messiah, the Christ, is uh, the word for that in the Greek, Christos, which means the Messiah, is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must, must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Then Jesus these things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of the Isaiah the prophet. So this is a reason. This isn't just happenstance that they don't believe. This is to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. And here's the prophet Isaiah's message. Lord, who has believed our report? That's Isaiah 53. And to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said to them, and here he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Now, does anybody remember? Does Isaiah chapter 6 sound familiar to anybody? It should. Holy, holy, holy. After this incident in Isaiah chapter 6, if you read a few verses, you're going to see these verses right here. And here's what Isaiah said. It says, for this reason they could not believe. Verse 40. He has blinded their eyes... And he has hardened their hearts. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a good place for you to say it. If you want to say it, go ahead. That's not fair. So that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Who did Isaiah see high and exalted and lifted up on the throne with the seraphim declaring, holy, holy, holy? He saw the Logos, the eternal word. Nevertheless, many of the, even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, were, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Does that sound familiar? If you've seen the word, if you've seen the Logos, you've seen the Father. If you want to look ahead here a little bit later when we get back to John chapter 1, you'll look down a little bit farther and it's basically going to say that the Son was exegeting the Father. We come up here every day, and every time we meet, we try to exegete the Bible. We try to pull it out, extrapolate it, and tell the true meaning of it. But it goes and it says that the Son was exegeting the Father. He was explaining the Father by His action and by His nature. It's an amazing thought. It goes on a little farther to say this, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. That's what John has told us, that he is the light. And you see that this prophetic word from Isaiah that the Jews were blinded and hardened so they could not see. We also see this in Romans chapter 11. If you want to turn there with me, we'll turn a little bit more than usual tonight. These passages are all very hard to copy and paste this many onto a sheet. In Romans chapter 11, you'll see a prophet that is spoken about here. And we find this in verse 2. It's the prophet Elijah. Sound familiar? We just read about him this morning a little bit, how John would be the one coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And it speaks about how verse 
We'll start in verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be. For I am too an Israelite, the descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Or do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I am alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? So here Elijah, if you remember, after he had this amazing experience on Mount Carmel where he defeated the 400 prophets of Baal, he sees this miraculous fire from heaven being pulled down. He sees the glory of God working on that scene. And then word gets back that Jezebel has a bounty out on his head. And after seeing the miraculous power of God on Mount Carmel, the fear of this evil woman, it leads him to flee for his life. That didn't make sense, does it? But we're human. We're human, and sometimes we doubt, and sometimes we're fearful. And Elijah is on the run, and he calls out to God, and that's what he says. They've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars, and I'm the only one that's left. And he says, what is the divine response? What's the response from God? And here he says in verse 4, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God says, I've kept these people for me. I've kept them. I've done this. They're mine. I've reserved them. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Stop again. Israel, the Jews as the majority, were going to reject this Messiah. He came into his own and the majority rejected him, but there was a remnant that God had kept for himself. And look how it is brought about. It was according to God's gracious choice. Whose choice was it? God's gracious choice. It is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Listen to the next verse. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Again, now's a perfect time. If you want to say it, don't say it out loud. That's not fair. God is sovereign. Is he not? Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to not see and ears to not hear, down to this very day. And David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Why does this happen? Are you a Christian tonight? Are you a Gentile tonight? Listen to how this plays a part in your life. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Because of Israel's disobedience, because of Israel's rejection, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their treasure, is, if their transgression, speaking of the Jews, is riches for the world, salvation for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentile, how much more will their fulfillment be? The Bible speaks here, and it's going to tell us that their hardening is only partial, and their hardening is only temporary. When the last Gentile has come in, when the fullness of Gentiles has come in, then God will bring a, a spirit of awokenness, if you will, a spirit of, uh, that is turned towards His remnant of Israel. Not all of Israel, not every person that's of Israel descent is what he's talking about here, but he's talking about the remnant. He's talking about those chosen of God, of the Jewish descent. After the last Gentile has come in, after the fullness of the Gentiles is over, then God will set his attention. He will set his heart. He will set his focus to the Jew that are his chosen. And there will be a great incoming of those Jewish people. And he says, if their transgression brought riches to the world, how much more amazing will their coming back at the end be? It's an amazing thought that is 
how we are grafted into that olive tree. The wild olive branches being grafted into the true olive tree. And then we find this in verse 25. It says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's why the Jews are in the state they're in now. Because God has hardened them. He's blinded them. And only the remnant is seeing the gospel and the truth today. But one day, there will be a great revival of the Jews that are His chosen when the fullness of Gentiles has met its full peak. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? That He's hardened them to make them jealous, to set His eyes on the Gentiles. It's the mystery of the gospel. That's what's happening now. And he came into his own, and his own received him not. That's a, it's an amazing verse. It's an amazing thought, and there's so much that is, comes off of that. Our inclusion into the gospel, the hardening of the Jews. He came into his own, stranger in his own house, and his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Let me say this right off the bat. There's a lie, there's a, there's a belief that's going around the world. And we just got to put an end to it. We are not all children of God. That's just the bottom line. Those who are not of God, they're children of the devil. There's no, other, there's no in between. There's no other alternative. You're either children of light or you're children of darkness. You're children of life or you're children of death. You're children of the devil or you're a child of God. And those who have the amazing privilege to be children of God are the ones who have believed in Him and the ones who've received this message. 98 times, me and Perry were talking about this, 98 times in the gospel according to John that the word believe is used. 245 times in the New Testament the word is believe, believe is used, and 98 of those 245 are found in the gospel according to John. John wants you to believe. He wants you to believe in the true and living God. Not a man-made God, not a build of God where we go, we want this part of God, we want Him to be like this, we want like this part of Him. We want the, no, we want the biblical God. That's who we're to believe in. And he says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. It says, to those who believe in His name. And we know from Acts chapter, 12, or Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there's only one name under heaven that has been given to where men can be saved. Just one. It's the name of Jesus. The true Jesus. What has John spent already this letter speaking about? The true Jesus. Who He is. The deity of Christ, the eternal word, the creator of all things, the one who has life in himself, the one who is light, the one who has all of life and light in himself to which he can give. This is the eternal God. This is God that he's speaking of. And it is in that name. It's in a very, very narrow road. It is Christ and Christ alone. There's only one gate, one name, one door. We're not all children of God. Those who are children of God are those who are born again, who've had this amazing privilege and this amazing uh, right to become the children of God. It's truly mind-blowing that the Father has one Son. He's an eternal Father, which makes Jesus an eternal Son. He has only one begotten Son, the monogenesis, the Greek, will tell us that it is Jesus. But He has adopted children. Adopted sons of God. What a privilege that is, that we could have that amazing honor. We've labored that point so often. That this is a gift given by God. 
to where we have union with sonship with Christ. And that is why the Spirit overflows in our soul so where we can cry, Abba, Father. What a privilege this is. Let's read some of these verses on being a child of God. Romans 8, chapter 14. Th- chapter 14, that's not correct. Chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. It says this. This is on your sheet at the very bottom. It says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Again, that involves regeneration. The Spirit of God is who regenerates. The Spirit of God is who seals you and gives you that eternal promise of your eternal inheritance. These are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons to which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed we suffer with Him so that we also may be glorified with Him. We're co-heirs with Christ. Because the same love to which the Eternal Father loved the Eternal Son is the same love that He loved upon His people. It is in that union that we have sonship, and it is in that union that we're co-heirs, and we have the privilege of calling Him Father. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. Speaking here that the promises and the things given to the Israelites, they had rejected it as a whole, and does that mean the Word of God has failed? No, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. We saw this today when the, the Jews and they came to when John the Baptist was baptizing. And what was their claim? Do you know who we are? Do you know, do you know who our ancestors are? Listen, you being a Jew does not make you a child of God. It's not about descendancy. It's not about the flesh. There is a spiritual Israel. There is a ethnic Israel. And there is this spiritual Israel. And it has been a grafting in of the Gentile into this. And the spiritual Israel is all of his people. All of spiritual Israel, those whom God has saved and rescued, and they have believed in the promise by faith. Those are the sons of, uh, of the promise, as it was with Abraham. Those are the children of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I shouldn't have read that, should I? That's not the feel-good verse of the night right there. Do all th- I'll read it again. Maybe you weren't listening. <laughs> Maybe I need to hear it again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have, have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. We read about that today. It would be the light of the world, and uh, that we are to uh, shine the light of Christ in our actions, so that the world can see that. And this is what this verse is speaking of. There would be a light in the middle of this dark and perverse world. One of my favorite verses is found in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1 through 2, it says this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. Why do we love? Because He first loved us. And look what that love brought about. That we would be called children of God, as such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. That's what we're talking about tonight. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. You're going to find that common theme here. Who are the children of God? Those who have been given this privilege. God has loved them. God has graciously shined upon them. God has allowed this to be. 
And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it says this, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Who receives the adoption of sons? Those whom He's redeemed. Now, stop, and let's work on this backwards just a little bit. Only those who have been redeemed and set free from the curse can be called children of God. Where did the redemption happen? On the cross. There's a specific group of people that He redeemed on the cross. Those who would be the children of God. It's a very specific and definite atonement that we see on the cross. It says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Taylor and I were talking about this the other day. Don't overlook that verse. It's not something that you just force yourself to do. But look who is there to urge that in your prayers and in your praise. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because now you want to. The light that you hated, the God you hated, is now the God you want to cry with all affection and cry, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a privilege it is for those who believe in His name that God has given the right to become children of God. And then verse 13 piggybacks on that and says, about those who are children of God, it tells us how those have become children of God. And it's going to tell us how we are born again. Listen carefully. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm going to read this section on your sheet because I think it covers all bases, but just listen and follow along. Being born again is not brought about by blood, the will of our flesh, and we know that's the case because our wills are enslaved and they are turned toward evil and we hate the light and left to our own will, we would never choose God or the will of man, but only by the sovereign unilateral, monergistic power and action of God. We are as passive in our spiritual birth as we are in our natural birth. Being born again or being regenerated is initiated and performed by God and God alone. The common misconception is that we have to have faith to be born again. That is an incorrect view of biblical doctrine of regeneration. We have faith as a result of being born again. Regeneration precedes faith. Faith is the fruit of regeneration, not the cause of it. Listen to that again. I think that's important. That faith is a fruit of your regeneration. Faith is there because you have been regenerated, not, be, not what you take on your own to become regenerated. It is the fruit of regeneration, not the cause of it. If we try to put faith before regeneration, we are asking the fallen, unregenerate creature to do what the Bible says is impossible. That individual in a state of spiritual death cannot elevate themselves to a spiritual life or rebirth. This is a sovereign act of God and God alone. The flesh cannot bring about regeneration. If one has faith, it means that that individual has been regenerated and given faith by God. A person's faith does not bring about regeneration, but rather regeneration brings faith, which that individual actively puts in God to bring about justification. And then that person who has been justified, we know the ending of that golden chain says what? Glorification. Your eternal home. That's the misconception that is so often espoused in regeneration. What is being taught across so many churches is that we in our fallen nature, what does the Bible tell us about that fallen nature? Can't seek God? The Bible tells you that. No one seeks God. So if we say opposite, we've just went against biblical teaching. Romans 8 says that the unregenerate man can do nothing pleasing to God. 
It cannot submit itself to God's law. It's unable to do so. The Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The Bible tells us that our heart is stone. The Bible tells us that our wills are enslaved by the devil. And we expect a fallen, sinful, rebellious creature who hates the light, who doesn't seek God in his own flesh to rise up and bring himself into spiritual rebirth. That's an impossibility. That's absolutely an impossibility. Not by flesh, not by your will, not by anything are you and I born again. But the last three words of verse 13 tells us all, but of God. Do you remember the verses that we've read before? It says, but while you were dead, Christ made you alive. If we want to put that into modern teaching, it would say, well, while we were dead, we made ourselves alive. How? The Bible, we're going to read this again as we work through the book of John. But it's going to tell us that, that is born, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and that is born of the Spirit is spirit. Only the Spirit can bring about spiritual rebirth. We've got it all backwards. If you have faith to believe in Christ, if you have faith that you place and believe, as John says, if you believe and receive that message and you put faith in Him, that's because that you have the fruits of regeneration in your life. You've been regenerated. God has given you the gift to believe. He's given you faith to believe. That is the fruit of it. And then you come and you call in the name of the Lord. Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, it says that if you believe in your heart, what kind of heart can believe in this Messiah? A fallen one? No, only a regenerate one. It is that change that has been brought about by being born again that produces faith and produces our ability to believe. Do we have free will? Well, the Bible says here it's not of the will of man. Do we have free will? The answer is absolutely yes, we do. But the very thing that we claim is our greatest tool is absolutely our prison. Because every human being is enslaved to sin. Every human being that is born is not morally neutral. It's not like you come out and be like, well, I, can, I have as equal a good a chance of doing what is right and doing what is wrong. No, 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 you don't. That you are enslaved to sin and your responses will always be opposition of God. It's not the will, the free will that you have. Because if, if God just let us have our own free will that we have at our birth, we would all be in hell. Claim free will all you want. I'm claiming a Messiah who comes and sets me free from my sinful will. That is the reason that I'm a child of God and that I've been brought to life. And I want to read this verse before we get through this section. We find it in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. In verse 24 through 26, we've, we've read these before, but I, I want you to get it in line of being enslaved and not by the will of man, but only by God. In verse 24 of 2 Timothy, it says this, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps, not a mandated thing, but if, if perhaps, God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That's every man held captive to do the will opposite of God. That's our fallen nature. Into sin we are born. In a fallen nature we come into this world. And it is only until Christ 
grants repentance. Did you see that? Did you catch the first part of that? If God grants repentance, which then get, He then gives the knowledge of His truth to, to which they can then see that truth, and He sets them free from the captive, captive nature of their will to the devil to do His will. One more quick one I want to read about being enslaved. We find this in the Gospel according to John. You got a lot to look forward to in John. I think Amanda has said this quite often. The slave doesn't set themselves free. But that's also being espoused and taught that you as a slave to sin can come and set yourself free. That's not how that works. It's not how it works in real life. It's not how it works in spiritual life. You are set free by someone else. In John chapter 8, let's start in verse 31. The title over my Bible, my heading here, says, The truth will make you free. Yours may say you may make you free. I don't know. But mine says the truth. Well, who's the truth? God. You may notice from Roman, or Romans, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way. You know the next one, don't you? The truth and the life. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue my word, then you are truly my disciples, are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we have become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, double word, listen up. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Oh, but the son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. How are you set free from that bondage of the will? By Christ and Christ alone. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Interesting. Children of God, children of the devil. There's the two choices. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. That's interesting, isn't it? If God were your father, he would love you first. You would love him back. For I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Again, now's the perfect time. If you want to, to let it just rise up and say, how could a loving God, how could they not be able to hear his word? That's not fair. Do you know what God was doing in those cases? He was letting them be them. That's what he was doing. Hey, your free will, your fallen nature is to hate me. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and they hate the light. That's what every person is in their own natural state, in their own fallen state. If left to our own wills, we will hate God. He wasn't forcing them to do that. He wasn't infusing them with extra evil. He was letting them be them. He was letting their true nature be on display. They couldn't hear their word, but I think there's a chapter in John somewhere around 10. And it says that there's a certain group of people that do hear his voice and do hear his word. It's his sheep. The children of God hear his voice and hear his word. And he tells them why they cannot hear their word. You ready? You are of your father, the devil. And you, listen, here's the whole message right here of free will. You want to do the desires of your father. Wouldn't force them to do anything. That was their nature. Their desire was to do the will of the devil because they were enslaved. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them. Why? Because you are not of God. It's quite sobering into that verse, isn't it? We're not all children of God. We're not born again by our own natural means in our fallen state. We don't come and produce faith in our fallen sinful ways and put that faith into Christ and then He owes us that because it's been all of us that comes to Him. That's not how that works. I believe Romans chapter 9, verse 10 through 16 says it very well. And I want to show you how this parallels what John is saying. Remember what John said, who were not born of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And in this controversial chapter, Romans chapter 9, we find similar language to this. It says this, starting in verse 10, And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, whom when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Because of works, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, and this is when he was passing by in that, that fleeting glance of glory as he hid Moses behind the rock. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In verse 16 parallels with what John has said in verse 13 of chapter 1. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs but on God who has mercy. That takes all the glory away from man, doesn't it? It takes all of the glory and places it onto where the glory is to be placed, to God and God alone. That's what John is saying here in the last verse. Those whom did believe. He's granted that privilege to be children of God. And that privilege comes about, that regeneration, that rebirth comes, not by man, not by their goodness, not by their bringing themselves to spiritual life, not because they've willed it to be, because their wills are enslaved. That's not how anyone comes to be a born-again believer. But it's by God. That's what John's trying to tell us here. John the Baptist came to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, to announce that the Messiah was coming. He was the light. He was pointing people to the light. He stepped into his creation, but the world as a whole did not know him, and the Jews specifically rejected him, which brought about grafting into the Gentiles. Just a few that believed. But those who did believe. We find that in today's world, don't we? The majority of people hate God, hate Him, reject the light, hate the light. But those who believe. I believe I'm talking to people in here tonight. Those who do believe. Those who did receive this message. Then you've got the amazing privilege to call Him Father. But to know that that was not initiated from you. That was not brought about by your own doing and your own will but your regeneration came about from the sovereign work of God which then allows you to 
put your faith in Him and to receive Him. If we demand mercy, it's no longer mercy. If we demand grace, it's no longer grace. God can have mercy on whoever He wants to have mercy on. And there's no one who can tell Him otherwise. He can have compassion on whoever He wants to have compassion on. And He can harden whoever He wants to harden. Is there injustice with God? No. Let it never be. Remember this. The two choices are justice, to which He gives to everyone who He does not shine grace and mercy on, and they get exactly what they deserve. They hate God, they rebel against God, they choose the things against God, and they rebel against this holy God, and to that effect, their justice will be given out in perfect uh, wrath for all eternity in hell. That is justice. But to those whom He showed mercy on, to those who He has allowed to be called children, He has shown us mercy. He has shown us grace. And He has, by His own will, shown mercy and kindness upon us. Not because of us, but because of Him. Let us remember that. And let us remember that regeneration precedes faith. And let us remember that your faith is a fruit of regeneration not what brings about your regeneration. Does it bring you to worship this God who would do that for you? He didn't have to. He didn't have to show mercy on anyone. That the fact that He did, that He set His eyes and His attention to you from the foundation of the world and said, I will have mercy on Taylor before she was born, before she did anything good or bad so that God's sovereign choice of election may stand so that she could call Him Father. Not because of her will, which was enslaved, not because of her blood, not because of her birth lines and her her bloodline, not because of any of that. But by mercy. If you remember, we'll end with this. What is the purpose of the Gospel according to John? We find this in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. It says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Amazing verses that John has written here. I hope it challenges us this week. To let us be like John to declare that Christ is coming again one day. To we point people to the light. And there may be people like in this day that rejected the light. But there will be some to whom God has shown mercy. To where that gospel message comes alive in their soul. And those are the people to whom he's died. For those are the people he's given the privilege to be children of God. And those are the ones He's caused to be born again. Not of ourselves, but of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, so often we are so unappreciative of the privilege of being called Your children. God, let us never get to the point where we hear it so often that we become numb to that thought and that that wordage. But God, let it be just the opposite. That the more that we know about you and the more that we hear that we are children of God, that it would bring about a reverent worship and thanks that we've never had before. Father, we thank you that you did something for us that we could not do ourselves. And that is to bring us to spiritual life. And Lord, we thank you 
that you are the name to which why we can be saved. Lord, we thank you for your mercy in our salvation. We thank you that while we were running from you, you were running towards your sheep. And we heard your words because of you. And you changed us and you saved us and you set us free. You set us free from our desires and our affections. And Lord, you put affection and love for you in our hearts. We thank you for that. And Lord, tonight we just want to say thank you. And we want to take that knowledge of what you've done and share it with everyone else. And we can be messengers of the light. Lord, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. And in this name, the name of Jesus, the only name that salvation can be found, we pray. Amen.